0: Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 45. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's media and pop culture blind spots and sharing the rusty movies and guilty pleasures from our past. That means each time one of us picks an interesting, seminal, seminal seminal (laughs) film, Uh media, work, Television program, perhaps, um, that the other person has never seen. And uh, enforced viewing ensues. Mm -hmm. And then we meet here to unpack it all with you guys. It's not my turn to choose this week.
1: It was my pick. It was somebody else's
0: turn to choose. I
1: chose. It was me.
0: (laughs) You are the only other person here. I (laughs) confess. It was me. So please tell us what you chose.
1: So I chose... Uh, it's our it's a it's a big moment this is our first first Werner Herzog film on the podcast
0: I feel a little yes. bit like you like you pulled the rug out from but, under me because I had no idea for months I've been <laughs> trying to think about which Werner Herzog movie to do on the show and then I stole you,
1: your thunder you yeah. stole my thunder that's right um it's hard when when you're married to a someone who's been to film school to find a Werner Herzog film that he hasn't seen although Werner Herzog makes lots of films. Can I introduce you to
0: the box set of which I still haven't seen about 6 of yeah, the films? Yeah. Okay. okay. But
1: still, I mean like a film, you know, me not a film Nevertheless, school graduate. the title
0: of the film <laughs> since we haven't even mentioned yet. So
1: it's um uh, Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. There's a colon in there. Um, so it is not a sequel to The Bad Lieutenant that came out in, I think, 92.
0: Abel Ferrara directed that.
1: With, uh, Indie
0: film with Harvey Keitel. Where he's
1: naked, because Harvey Keitel's always naked. It
0: was a very notorious, controversial, shocking sort of movie at the time.
1: But it's actually, interestingly, the same producer...
0: Edward R. Pressman. Yeah,
1: wrote a screenplay and then handed it off to Herzog, who did well, his Well, he didn't own... write the
0: screenplay, but he produced. He I produced... think he probably still owned the rights to the title, to yeah. the... I don't know what kind of deal Abel Ferrara made with the devil. Yeah. Sorry, Edward Pressman, but <laughs> you have the rights to the property for some reason, and Abel Ferrara is really pissed about it, so...
1: Well, I mean... I... I guess it's sort of a traditional Hollywood film, but it doesn't really feel like that. I mean, it has major stars. It has Okay, it has Nicolas Cage. Cage. Not Harvey Keitel. No, it's Nicolas Cage. Nicolas
0: Cage is the bad lieutenant. Yes.
1: And um, wonderfully unhinged in his role as the bad lieutenant in this, in New Orleans.
0: (laughs) Possibly as unhinged as Klaus Kinski, Werner Herzog's usual unhinged actor. Yeah.
1: So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> although we can
0: talk about that more well in i'm time. trying to
1: think so when was when did i first come across nick cage and i think the first nick cage film i Too ever grief, saw I... uh raising arizona was the first one i think i saw my parents were fans of raising Arizona. my dad just loved raising ooh, arizona ooh, i'm raising my hand yes
0: <laughs> rumblefish
1: I've, never, I've still never he seen it a, we have it he but. has a
0: bit part in rumblefish okay. francis coppola's adaptation of the se hinton yeah. teen book
1: The tiny role in uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High,
0: Valley Girl.
1: Yes, Valley Girl. I've seen Valley Girl. You showed me Valley Girl. Valley
0: Girl was probably the first feature length starring role that I saw Mm -hmm. Nicholas Cage in. Anyway, he's had a long and varied
1: career. Yeah, I was. I was just looking at his thing. You know, I kind of got to him in his sort of the the mid nineties. I remember Face Off with John Travolta, which was like just a wonderful, horrible. Uh, terrible uh
0: it it was all of those things yeah. <laughs> and it was glorious. Yes. I mean it was uh and it was one of John Wu's um big moves to Hollywood. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: He kinda disappeared somewhat mm-hmm. a little bit after that. But
1: yeah.
0: all of us film school types were like and that was yeah. after I was out by a few years. We were all very excited about John Wu um and him moving to Hollywood.
1: So that was, I mean, like if you're looking for a great popcorn movie, that is like just weird silliness with John Travolta and and Nick Cage, and you can't really around
0: that time. Also, um, <laughs> The Rock,
1: which I still haven't seen, and Con
0: Air. The... There was this whole The, the Rock. I've Co- seen the
1: end of Con Air. The Rock
0: and Con Air <laughs> and um, Face Off all were yeah. kind of around the same time.
1: Well, and it was, it was this was... great
0: trilogy of crazy well Hollywood. and
1: oddly shortly after leaving las vegas which i still have i've not seen but um it's weird he went prestige and then he went like popcorn just like it's yeah, he goes all over the place is he, what does, he does, do does all of
0: that because um he still does he still does leaves room <laughs> <laughs> to do weird indie films
1: yeah right it's true
0: A movie called Joe or something like that Mm -hmm. a few years ago. I mean, and this is what is this? I mean, it is probably. (laughs) I was trying to, I was thinking about Werner Herzog's filmography. I think it's the only outright like Hollywood Mm -hmm. kind of movie he's done. Yeah. Although I may be wrong, but I can't think of another one.
1: Well, I've mostly, still mostly not seen much of his um, uh, narrative film at all. I've mostly seen his documentaries. You know, Grizzly Man was the first one. Um, Yeah. I've seen the... I haven't seen Fitzcarraldo, but I've seen the documentary made about Fitz... Fitz, Or is it... Burden of Dreams. Yeah, I've seen Burden of Dreams.
0: Is the the making of Fitzcarraldo. I've
1: seen Into the Inferno. I've seen, you know...
0: I have not... There's at least half a dozen of those documentaries I still have to catch up with. Because he made so many in the last 10 or 15 years. It's true. So so much so that I had a funny conversation with one of our colleagues a couple mm-hmm. months ago, where she where she overheard us talking about Werner Herzog movies, and um, I think I mentioned Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, and she was like, "What? Werner Herzog made a version of Nosferatu? <laughs> I thought he was a documentarian. What yeah. are you talking about? He makes fiction films." And I was like. Well, say, you know, does he make fiction films? He, like, I always thought of him primarily as a narrative filmmaker, and yet he, he took the, he's always made documentary films, and he he has made more documentary films in the last 15, 20 years than narrative films, I think. I'll
1: take that back. The first film I saw by Werner Herzog was even Dwarfs Start Small. And, it almost made me not want to watch any more films by Werner Herzog because so, that is not my cup of tea. If
0: anyone is listening and has <laughs> not yet caught up with Even Dwarfs Started Small or Werner Herzog, don't ever start with Even no, Dwarfs Started that's... Small. That is a completely bananas and bizarre, like, just don't.
1: Yeah, so that's that was like, my first Okay, one. that's deep
0: cut Werner yeah. Herzog. Yeah. If you really, that's really like... It's like, second film or something like that. Yeah, but like I that. mean, it's not something you rush to see. No. There are so many other... Sorry. I'm sorry. Vernon. Well, another, and but. I
1: will add this is from my own experience. If you're trying to woo a woman, do not show her even Dwarf Star Small.
0: Do not show her a <laughs> uh, 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 depraved, bizarre <laughs> cult movie about uh, little people taking over the world. Yeah. Don't, don't okay. show her
1: that. Um, but uh, I, I think it's interesting because I think that Nicholas Cage and Herzog, like if you look at their filmographies, like they seem to just love making film. They just they have that in common. Like Nick Cage is just I'll be in anything. I just want to make movies. And well,
0: I know and then <laughs> but people always joke yeah. that he'll he's it's all money and he'll just be in anything. Just give him anything and he'll I don't
1: do know. it. No, I think you have to really enjoy the work, you know. And he puts a lot of intensity. It's not like he's taken it easy on any of this. It's all no, pretty, but a lot
0: of people would argue that yeah. he's self-parody now, right? Yeah. Everybody talks about bananas, Nicolas Cage performances in a jokey way, right? Did we not go to a cage-a-thon at the Alamo Draft House?
1: I've been to two Cageathons, so <laughs> okay. I, I enjoy the manic energy of Nick Cage. Well, so.
0: he wasn't always yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, there used to be a little more variation yeah. to the anyway. Well,
1: my mom—I've never seen it. So I, there's a lot of Nick Cage I haven't seen, but I've never seen Moonstruck either. You know, so oh. that's the yeah
0: so that's an idea for a yeah. movie sometime
1: <laughs> my I, mom's a big fan whether or not we Moonstruck. do that on the
0: podcast you should definitely see Moonstruck it was one of point. her favorite movies I think you'll really like Moonstruck yeah. actually I, I, and I need to revisit that because I haven't seen it in well, 25 you know, years she, and she
1: likes Cher as an actress which I'm not as convinced on she really liked that one with Winona Ryder too Mermaids or whatever. yeah I was going to
0: say I can name about three Cher movies that I think she's fantastic in and, yeah um, Mask yeah and yeah. Mermaids yeah and Moonstruck.
1: Moonstruck, yeah. All starts with, right? with that. Oh,
0: and is she not in... Um, did you ever see Silkwood, the Meryl Streep movie? No. She's. I think she's uh, Meryl Streep's roommate in that, and she's really good. Interesting. Anyway. So, so why did you choose this movie? <laughs> We've come around the block a long way to get to back to that question.
1: I just remember... It's just so weird. It's like just a weird movie it like it's interesting like it touches on all these sort of like just just barely like pokes at some of the like major like social issues going on like cuz it's set in new orleans like
0: just after katrina just after katrina
1: yeah. actually the first scene happens during katrina
0: well i think it's in the right immediate yeah. aftermath
1: and you know it touches on all these issues that are like you know, relationships between police and communities of color and immigrants and and drug violence and all of this stuff that it sorta of kinda of pokes at, but then doesn't really focus on at all. It actually is a little bit more about addiction than anything else, I guess. And police corruption? <laughs>
0: <laughs> is it it's, really about these things? <laughs> I don't though? think it's
1: about anything, really. Um it's just a really weird movie. It's it's enjoyable. It was fun to watch. I just I thought that um, it just seemed like a movie that you would have seen, but I guess because of when it came out, you just two
0: thousand
1: nine. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah,
0: I think that was like a momentous year of like cross country move from oh, okay. Spokane, Washington, back to San Antonio yeah. for a new job at Trinity University. It was around that time. Well, yeah. actually, that was probably two thousand eight, but that's around that time.
1: So I mean, I don't, I don't think it's like an important movie and i mean other than i do have this kind of like weird obsession with nick cage's freak out like i love to watch somebody made like a nine minute youtube video of all of nick cage's freak outs um particularly the one with the bees from wicker man the remake of wicker man
0: i've never seen that so um i've seen that scene well
1: it's funny because i have been to two master pancake Cageathon, so there's enough material for two separate cageathons. Oh, they, they were different. The, it wasn't the they same. They weren't thing? the same. Yeah, so it was interesting. Well, he
0: does work so much. Yeah. He puts out so much product.
1: Yeah, he does. So this was, I mean, and I want to say there were probably eight to ten years between the two cageathons. So there was a whole like decade of new content for them to pull on. You know. Um, so
0: you wanted me to see this because.
1: I th- I just thought you would. I just remember it, it being weird and funny and, you know, I, I like how, and, and maybe this is in other Herzog movies that I, well, it is another Herzog movies, even in the documentaries, there is this sort of balancing of like laughing at the characters and then not judging them at the same time or mm-hmm. like things being like dark and, and wretched, but, finding moments of weirdness and humor. I don't know. He's he's very good at... He certain- somehow,
0: like, is able to objectively <laughs> view the character, mm-hmm. subjectively convey the character's bizarre psychological state, Yeah, and yet comment on it all at the same yeah. time from a distance.
1: Well, he has this very... I mean, like, from his interviews. I know him as much from his interviews as from, you know because especially in his documentaries, he's very much a character in his own documentaries. Yeah. So like you get a little bit of an idea of his worldview and how just, you know, non-judgmental he is of, you know, um, I think, I think I was reading in the Re- Ebert review that he felt like that, uh, Herzog has the forgiveness of God, you know, the ability to just forgive well, his characters, it, anything. I mean, you if know? you think
0: about all of his films too, he's interested in, People in extreme situations, mm-hmm. like everything, right? Even the yeah. documentaries into yeah. the uh, into a volcano, um, uh, uh, to the South Pole, or something like that. You know, uh, Aguirre, the Wrath of God, one of his first fiction films that horrible you know (laughs) klaus kinski and the conquistadors (laughs) through the jungle you know dying from diseases and getting picked off by natives and going insane
1: well it's very much like into like man's folly kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know in hubris and
0: (laughs) and all (laughs) and all the darkness that it brings down yeah the fire and lightning and
1: i don't know so so that's i mean like i can't say that it was like vitally important to my existence, but I'm I'm glad that I know about it and was able to share it, I guess.
0: So, I don't know why. I mean, I can only say that I just didn't know much about this film, but I thought we were heading into sort of guilty pleasure kind of territory. Mm. I mean, just my impression of, like, the title, Bad Lieutenant, (laughs) Port of Call, New Orleans. (laughs) I thought it was going to be one of those insane off the rails bad Nicolas Cage movies that Werner Herzog just happened to like get roped into doing or something like that but I have to say I loved this movie Mm -hmm. and I thought it was a really good movie
1: yeah
0: I thought and, and I had no idea that it was a great film yeah like a great film and then And then I was reading about it some more and like this movie was well regarded when it came out and I missed this whole, so this is great that you chose this because this is truly a blind spot for me in Werner Herzog's filmography. And I love his work. Like he's like not just his work, but um, he's one of the most interesting creative human beings that I'm aware of. Like, Like before you even chose to do this, I picked up a book of his at City Lights in San Francisco, a memoir, a piece of a autobiographical piece. Well, memoir, right? Mm. A, a, something he wrote um, called, um, oh God, Of Walking in Ice, mm-hmm. which is a very slim piece he wrote. Um, In the mid 70s, when one of his mentors, the great um, German film critic Lottie Eisner was, I think, on her deathbed in Paris, and he had this sort of magical thinking kind of thing like, I am going to walk from Munich to Paris. And this will if I make it there, like she will still be alive, and it will keep her alive or something like that. Mm, But it's his tale of walk trudging through the ice and the snow and the weather and like sleeping overnight in barns and all. and, And I think he once said in, um, in, in in talking to Ebert that this sl- slim little book is one of the th- the things he's most proud of mm. creating, like more than any of his films. Yeah, it's really good. But I was reading this this week. I started this yeah. a few days ago, and then <laughs> you chose this movie, so he was very much on my mind. And so this really is a blind spot for me, and like a really happy surprise that Dumb. it was as good and as fun and as exhilarating as it was yeah it's um, I just thought I thought it was going to be like a popcorn like something fun funny and it definitely was but
1: well I think you can I mean if you went into it you know I think that that a person that doesn't know anything about Werner Herzog or anything or Nicolas Cage could go in and just watch it it's it's a it's a perfectly fine thriller you know kind of mystery thing you know procedural thing I guess is the it's funny because
0: you know watching something that you know you think is basically a weird cop thriller with Nicolas Cage and knowing that it's Werner Herzog the director you know you're watching it through a certain lens of going like what is where is his sensibility and what does he bring to it and then you get to really weird things like the iguana can yeah. you talk about the iguana a little bit?
1: So there's...
0: Or the alligator cam?
1: Well, so fairly early on, it's clear. So actually, the first scene starts, I guess we should do a little bit of a summary in order to set up the iguana. Like just
0: the gist of what this yeah, is about. Yeah, so
1: essentially, he's a cop. Um, they, they're clearing out a police station during Katrina. And they notice that a prisoner hasn't been transferred. Right. So they go down to the jail and there's a prisoner locked up in one of the cells and the water is rising. It's up to the prisoner's neck. And so Nicholas Cage jumps in the water to get the prisoner out. Essentially he injures his back at that point, And he's because his back is so badly injured. He's given prescription, um, to, for an opioid. I think it's Vicodin is what they give yeah. him. So he quickly becomes addicted to Vicodin and other pain. Well, they pain, tell him he's going to be yeah, on this for the rest of his, his life. life.
0: So he's guaranteed to be addicted to yeah.
1: it. And then he starts supplementing with Heroine, other uh, Heroin, cocaine, cocaine anything marijuana. to help him deal with the pain. Um, so I think that that sort of like skews his view on things. So there's some scenes where like randomly an iguana shows up and there's like uh, actually the first one is actually a zoomed in view of the alligator. Yeah. So there's, he goes to the scene of an accident where a car has rolled over because it ran into an alligator.
0: Yeah. Motor the, vehicle meets uh, alligator. So
1: after the scene plays itself out, there's like this cut to like a different alligators. eye view watching the scene in the grass off the side yeah. on the median. So, I mean, like you you essentially you see the alligator's side of its face and then you kind of see the scene as the alligator would see it, so then the next time he's in some sort of i think it's they're they're doing it's like a report out on what's happening with the murder case that he's investigating. So he's sort of standing in a room listening to people report out or whatever. And he kind of, I guess zones out. But what we get is like, there's a lizard there. All of a sudden,
0: there are two lizards. There's an iguana and and a a bearded dragon dragon on the And he says, why the fuck is there an iguana on my coffee table? Yeah. And his partner, Val Kilmer is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> There's nothing there. So
1: the whole scene plays out from like the iguana iv or the iguana in the beard. So you
0: have uh, you have a, a, a an extreme wide-angle camera lens down at the on the table with the iguana in the foreground of the shot and Nicolas Cage in the back of the shot, like staring, like kind of looking away and trying not to look at the iguana yeah. because it's like, is it there or is it not there? But it's also it holds on that shot yeah. for. With the camera kind of moving and swaying a little bit as if it is sort of a drug-induced drug haze. Yeah. You know, and some flare on the lens, so you get kind of a rainbow, woozy sort of effect too. But it's iguana cam for a good two or three minutes. Yeah, two or
1: three minutes, I think. You know, And I think the iguana... Does he show up again towards the end as well?
0: I don't even think I caught all of the iguana stuff. Yeah, so
1: there's just... It's just... I guess it's to...
0: Now, this is interesting because, like, I saw that and I was like, oh, this is Werner Herzog. Like, this is weird. And then, but when I think about the narrative of Werner Herzog films that I've seen, that's not really his style. He doesn't do bananas, like, um, (laughs) shots like that. In fact, if we have time, like, I want to obviously follow up and show you some of the other movies from the seventies, like when he was like one of the Kings of n- new German cinema, yeah. along with the inventors who we did last week with Paris, Texas. Um, but a lot of his narrative films are actually closer to documentary filmmaking. Mm. They don't have bananas, subjective, subjective camera work like that, or, you know, extreme <coughs> subjective, like weird, all that wide angle play or like through the eyes of the character. It's often he's, he's in one of these extreme locations like the Amazon jungle and the camera's on for a long time and he's got, you know, he's actually hired real, you know, indigenous people and yeah. stuff like that and and a lot of stuff that's playing out in front of the camera along with the actors is kind of playing it like life playing out in front of the camera. So there's always that kind of tension between documentary filmmaking and narrative filmmaking. And, and actually his camera is often very patient and, and holds for a long time on something playing out. So it's weird because I did definitely feel like, Oh, this is Werner Herzog interpreting this script with all this bananas, Iguana stuff. Yeah. But that's also like out of character Mm. filmically from his other works. It just has the, energy of a werner herzog film it has the energy of klaus kinski the iguana is klaus kinski nicholas cage (laughs) is klaus kinski so i also i also (laughs) want to say that when you told me you were going to do this film i said oh my god we have to do an episode called his and herzog yeah (laughs) because i felt really jealous that you got to choose a herzog movie before i did and i was like well we should do a one where we yeah. you know I get to choose one and you get to choose one and we'll call it his and Herzog. Okay, that's dumb. Yes. But um
1: Well, we can do the Herzog first and I don't then we know. Can and then do I the was thinking like next. I don't
0: even know which one I would choose. Yeah. And then I was thinking well because we have Nicolas Cage and he's so bananas in this like I'm I kind of want you to see my best fiend.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Which I don't know if you know about, but mm. it's uh his documentary about his lifelong collaboration with Klaus with Kinski, Kla- Kinski
1: yeah
0: who was a com- was definitely mentally ill yeah and definitely very difficult to work with and uh impossible to work with and yet they kept working with each other because of that intensity and that there's something born of that struggle that they were locked in and That those Kinski performances, yeah, I can see why he's drawn to working with Nicolas Cage. Like, I want them to work again. Yeah, it would be cool. (laughs) Sorry for the soliloquy on (laughs) that. I don't even know what started that.
1: So, I mean, let's see. I guess he's a bad lieutenant. He's pretty bad, you know. Well, because aside from the drug abuse,
0: (laughs) the major crime that he has to investigate is the five. Innocent people slain. Uh, the, yes, the, the Senegalese family, Senegalese
1: family murdered, caught
0: in in the crossfire of a. The father was the father dealing was heroin. the father was a heroin dealer who had impinged on the turf of of, of exhibit exhibit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who plays? What's his name? Something Fate, uh, uh, Big Fate, or Big
1: Big Fate, or something, something like that. that. Um, yeah, Big yeah. Fate.
0: <laughs> you can't. You cannot run a heroin business in in that neighborhood.
1: Well, I think one of my favorite bits, and you laughed so much, um, but they were discussing the names of the. So one of them was Big Fate, Midget, and G. But like Nicolas Cage had this like weird, unhinged laugh when he said G, like it was the weirdest name he had ever heard or something.
0: Nickname, (laughs) alias.
1: And I was like, that's a pretty common name nickname i think for people you know i don't know but um it was pretty good
0: (laughs) well so but my point is like he's tasked with this crime that he's supposed Mm -hmm. to solve and yet he's completely corrupt because his actual motivation is how to keep the how to keep his habit up yeah which is this self-medicating habit which is getting harder and harder you know, yeah. he is stealing drugs from the exhibit. I mean, from the... Um,
1: the, lo- the storage. The storage. So essentially he gets rid of the vouchers that in the evidence room. From the room, evidence room. So he can steal the... Which actually I think is, I mean, like among corrupt crimes... Is pretty common thing for for people he to steal drugs. Is,
0: he's got this weird <laughs> thing where he like busts like these innocent couples at mm-hmm. uh, clubs and yeah. like abuses them, sexually abuses the girl, and mm. like to get whatever they're carrying.
1: Yeah, you know, he wanted her speed or whatever she had.
0: Um, his entire modus operandi is. Finding and consuming more to to keep the pain down. Yeah. Right. But he's also, he also Well, has and to, he's
1: providing those drugs also to Eva Mendez, who is. His girlfriend. His girlfriend. Cook her with a hide gold as, Yes. as they are. Call girl. Call girl, yeah. Not uh, like
0: the street corner no, prostitute, no, no. She's but like uh, a high end call girl. She lives yeah. in a hotel really rooms nice and,
1: condo, I think. And um, yeah, so he's providing for her as well you know so there's a lot of crimes that uh, he does in order to cover up his stealing yeah you know he's also a gambler which causes some problems too if
0: you, just about any bad <laughs> vice or habit and th- that's 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 the connection with the original yeah. the harvey keitel is like the ultimate just horrendous corrupt cop who in the crime he's investigating in that film is a nun who's
1: Raped,
0: yeah. by a bunch of street kids. Um, raped and murdered, I think.
1: Yeah,
0: and he's. I'm sorry, Abel Farrar, but I much. I thought I liked this film a lot better than better. the original. Yeah, the original is. Falls into that kind of one timer category. Mm. It's so hard to watch. It's like um, the Requiem for a Dream oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of level of, of yeah. Don't of watch awfulness. that more than once. No, <laughs> I'd be worried if like, you did. <laughs> it's so raw. It's so painful. I'm glad I saw it, but it's it's not a pleasant watch. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's 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 probably some of Harvey Keitel's best work, but it's really hard because. Some of Kaitel's acting in that film is so it like you feel uncomfortable about what you're watching. Yeah. In the way that um, you know, in Apocalypse Now, Francis Coppola got um Martin Sheen completely like drunk and unhinged to shoot the opening scene mm-hmm. where he's melting down in the hotel room in Saigon, and you're you are really watching Martin Sheen completely smashed out of his head. Like punt, like smashing the mirror, falling apart, crying, weeping on the floor. It's not a performance. I mean, that's really him coming unhinged on screen. It's it, that's the kind of thing you get in um, in the original Bad Lieutenant. No, yeah. this is a much more entertaining film.
1: Did I mention they showed us Apocalypse Now in my senior high school history class? But anyway, I've heard about this history <laughs> class a lot. We also watched Sergeant York. Um. <laughs>
0: I don't know where to go with that (laughs)
1: Um, quality education at work. Yeah. So I, one of the things that I think is interesting about this is like how, like he has this thing where he just fall fails up. Like, you know, essentially like he's a horrible abusive person in the beginning, but he saves a guy's life. So he gets to be a Lieutenant by the end of the film. He's sort of stumbled into solving the crime, well actually fixing it so somebody gets so, charged with the crime. Every
0: horrible <laughs> selfish thing that he does in this film yeah. just to like protect his ass, like clear up his gambling debts, get no. another score of coke or heroin like ends up solving the case. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> so it has this weird ironic sort of,
1: well, so the first time he screws up, he loses the only witness they have to the case. The mm-hmm. kid is able to to essentially escape. So that's the first thing he has to cover up is like that was the only way they could prosecute the crime. He was the only witness. They didn't have any DNA evidence or anything like that. So um he me- and then in trying to get the kid back, does all sorts of horrible things to the kids. um Grandmother and and the woman that his grandmother's taking care of, you know, um, he hangs out with drug dealers. Um, yeah, it's it's not good. He makes <laughs> deals with.
0: I mean, at at by about two thirds of the movie, three quarters in, he is he owes his uh, gambling guy, like, whatever, five or ten thousand grand. Ten thousand grand. The mob is after him, because you have those gangsters who are associated with the,
1: uh... He stole money from... He stole money
0: from one of the clients of his girlfriend, named Mendez. So
1: they want fifty thousand dollars from him. He stole ten grand from them. (laughs) Um... To make it up, he has to give them
0: fifty grand. He has two days to do that. Yeah. Um, like, it's a real storm of awfulness yeah. that he gets himself into
1: oh and then um the uh police uh the his his people are are there was a complaint filed against him by oh. by yeah. the woman that he abused he took her oxygen from her <laughs> essentially yes. and so she filed a complaint and so he's got hr on him as well so
0: well they took away his gun yeah. and reassigned him or you know ch- changed yeah. his duties um yeah, But then are, he ends up the, being
1: captain at the end. Well, yeah, I
0: mean, spoilers, I guess. But yeah. but like all of this awfulness, somehow <laughs> every terrible thing he did ends up actually helping him solve yeah solve the crime and bring justice to the people to the people other than himself who yeah. deserve it. The the killer of the Senegalese family, the you know the they the mob gets taken care of.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, well, the, the, and <laughs> despite himself, I mean, yeah. like it just happens that the decisions he's made to protect himself, secure drugs, keep his head above water, stay alive has ended up solving, <laughs> solving the crime <laughs> and giving him a promotion.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so it's pretty funny.
1: Yeah. Well, and then it has the weird side story with, like... um, There's just some interesting, like, bit parts. Like, he ends up taking care of his dad's dog because his dad is going to AA every day. Doesn't have time to take care of the dog. And his wife, his dad's wife, who is played by Jennifer Coolidge, who, like... It's funny, because she's like, I'm not like your dad who gets drunk on hard liquor. I just drink beer all the time. But she's, like, completely wasted on beer. But she's always completely
0: wasted on beer.
1: The whole time, you know... you know, so but she's she feels like she's better than you know Nicholas Cage or his dad who who either get drunk on hard liquor or use hard drugs. I guess so. <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> so then
0: another interesting thing is at the very end of the film, you have the the guy that he saved in the beginning that led to the horrible back injury and the mm. Vicodin addiction and that started this whole thing like he runs into again, the guy's totally clean <laughs> yeah. and like has a normal job and like is doing really well. And he's like, Oh my God, you're the best. You know, you totally saved my life and you turned me around and I've made a go of it and all this kind of stuff. Well,
1: that's the last scene. They're sitting in the aquarium <laughs> in the together, aquarium, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and with fish. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, 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 it's hard to describe. It's, it's an experience.
0: <laughs> it's funny. We looked at the, um, the making of documentary on the disc mm-hmm. afterwards and Werner Herzog said like he wasn't expecting it, but he remembered when he read the screenplay for the first time that he was laughing out loud and he was like, wait, is this a comedy?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: he said, so, <laughs> so it's not a comedy, but he definitely was able to find the humor yeah. within the darkness. And like you said, he has that special dark view of things. Mm hmm that was able to walk that fine balance it's funny yeah it's horrible and funny both
1: that's true you know i one thing i admire and this is true of a lot of films that are filmed in new orleans is new orleans just is a special place to make you know it has so many interesting it's it's a major city it has distinctive architecture it has distinctive cultural you know things it's it's just a beautiful place to film anything you know and i think that that i don't know it's it just seems like the perfect location for this particular you know film mm-hmm. i mean it's in the title but <laughs> you know, you can have a scene with an alligator because there are alligators in Louisiana, you know, that can, which actually was a funny bit of the making of documentary too, where they, t- they, they take the alligator out of the freezer and position it just the way they want it to be. And yeah. Um, anyway.
0: Good choice, Ashley. Carr. Thank you. <laughs> where, what else do we have to say about this film?
1: I don't know. I mean, like. I'm trying to see how it connects to because. I mean, like two of the so the one of the scariest movies that I've ever seen in my whole life. I
0: have no idea what you're going to say. Grizzly Man. Oh, okay. That
1: movie is terrifying. I've had bad dreams for years about, about Grizzly about Man. About Grizzly Man, and like the thing is, is like
0: I thought that movie was fascinating. It was I would watch it again tonight,
1: but like, just like you won't
0: watch it ever again. But like I would watch it again tonight. Well, I
1: would watch it, but it's just it's absolutely terrifying. And like the thing is, there's nothing on screen. It's all descriptions, or actually, the lack of descriptions. You know, and then another like touchstone moment in film was i saw the 3d in the theater of cave of cave forgotten, of forgotten dreams.
0: dreams tell us what that is again because so cave of just-
1: forgotten dreams is um Werner herzog and it's been closed off for a long time but there are caves in france that have some of the oldest drawings done by humans.
0: Is it, this is in the Lascaux Caves, the, yes, fam- the really famous um, yeah, cave so paintings. They,
1: they are closed now to people because of the... Um, except for researchers that apply for special permission because the um, um, acid you know, yeah. from the environment and plus like people's breathing were causing the...
0: Just the, decay. The the right? the, the it, images they would not decay. last much longer.
1: But um, he got unprecedented access to take a 3D camera in and take these beautiful shots of the caves, and then he had someone like describe, like you know, and it's not just I, the way he talks about it. He sort of. He thinks these people were not just wanting to show, like, a solitary thing that it's art, that it was motion, that it was, and like you can see the way that he shot it, how like
0: they're like storyboards. There's like
1: herds of 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 horses there's moving movement. across a plane. It's and, like their version yeah. of cinema. And there's there's handprints, you know, uh, which are different. That it's like we smaller, were here, and yeah. I don't know. It's the just, signature
0: of the artist of the of the humans who painted them.
1: yeah so we think that i don't know i think that we as modern people think that we're diff- very different and than humans were in the past and i think he did a good job of sort of showing how that spark that makes us human was there from the and the desire the very beginning. to bear witness yeah. to
0: your experience and your life and to say i was here and i struggled and
1: no.
0: i survived
1: well, and I think that that's sort of a common theme in all of his work, is the sort of the beautiful struggle that is being human, you know, and and that we're here for such a short time and all we have is, you know, what we, you know, what we do while we're here, you know, so. And, you know, I th- think that all, all of his works that I've seen at least Mm -hmm. sort of show a piece of that. I don't know. Um, You know, he did, you know, he does bad things (laughs) undeniably, but I mean, like there's like, he seems to, he really wanted to solve the crime. And I don't think just because it was his job, but there was a moment where he's talking to the, I think the sister of, of, of the of the family who died, mm-hmm. um, like the aunt, I guess, of the children, and she's, you know, he well, seems genuinely sort of concerned about that. There you know?
0: is some little candlelight of of ethical concern, yeah. even within this corruption yeah. that does come to the surface mm-hmm. several times in the film. It's like that core part of him, yeah that there is still some kind of light of um aspect of right and wrong mm-hmm. of about uh, the, t- the need to protect the innocent from the chaos of the, <laughs> the yeah. world. I mean, like, he does terrible things, but there's something yeah. in there that you do glimpse two or three times.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that... It's not
0: gone forever, necessarily. It's
1: ultimately... You know, a lot, a lot of, you know, one of the follies that most people suffer from at one point or another, or sometimes their whole lives, is the the idea of hypocrisy and how, you know, you are you don't have the self-awareness to see that you want things your way and you'll do anything to have it your way. But when somebody else wants something their way, you know, not being able to consider that or to, you know, the, I don't know. You know, or the the rules don't apply to me, which I guess is the ultimate sort of hypocrisy. I am a rule mm-hmm. enforcer, but the rules don't apply to me, you know. so. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think a lot of that's a downfall of a lot of people is that they fail to see themselves well enough to regulate themselves. You know, they they rationalize, I guess, mm-hmm. is, the, is the thing, you know. So who knows? Well, and, you know, with the drugs, you know, probably there's a lot more. just rationalization going on but i don't know
0: have do you know if you've seen any of his Werner herzog's fiction films other than this Narrative work,
1: the dwarves you
0: mostly know the documentary yeah and dwarves yeah i wouldn't even be able to tell you what that's about i saw
1: and i heard him read good night (laughs) moon or whatever it was the
0: was that really him
1: I think. So. I oh, okay. Think, oh, yeah. I didn't know. I thought yeah. the
0: it was a gag. Oh, uh, it might
1: have uh, been a gag. I don't know. I think they, <laughs> they
0: was... had. You're right. They had a funny YouTube series of Werner Herzog reads Goodnight Night. I don't think it was yeah. actually him, but
1: yeah, <laughs> maybe they should get him to do it sometime.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited to um, watch more of his films with you, and I'm really pleased to discover that this <laughs> was a good yeah. <laughs> exciting exhilarating movie i had no idea it was on top 10 lists of that year of 2009 ebert's list kim morgan another critic i follow um i think ebert put it on his best of that decade list his 10 best of the decade you know shortly before he passed away um
1: It always makes me wonder, you know, having watched the Wim Wenders just before and now the Werner Now we did talk, two of
0: the great German filmmakers. Well, I mean,
1: it's interesting. So I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's anything to like a certain, I mean, you know, they always, they always used to do the ads like Germans don't do Shakespeare or, yeah. or whatever, um, that there's this certain sensibility about Germans... Or, I mean, about any European country, like that they're, you know, the French are this way and the Spanish are. I don't know, but there's something that I respond to in in some of the, you know, German cinema that I've seen. There's this this viewpoint that I, I don't know that I can articulate it, really, but just this sort of. Understanding of human folly, I guess, is is one of the things, but this sort of skeptical but enjoying it at the same time kind Uh of thing. And, you know, I don't know if it's it's something that you can ascribe to Germans in general or, or, you know, know. um, but I respond to it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, and my... My family is largely German. You know, I don't know, you know, if there's anything to that. But, you know, I don't know. I wish
0: I'd had time to find out more about how Werner Herzog became connected to this project. Mm. Because, like I said, I, it feels like his most, it feels most like a director for higher mm-hmm. Hollywood-style project than anything that he's ever done. I can't think of anything else like that. And I just want to know, like, did he do this to finance one of those great documentaries no. like Cave of Forgotten Dreams? Is this Is this one of those things, like, I'll do one of these so that I can finance one of mine? I don't know that he often does that. Another thing that we learned from the making of documentary on the dvd is i think val kilmer asked him at some point val kilmer plays yeah. uh nicholas cage's partner um something about is this like what you know what's your experience working in the, the uh, sound stage or studio kind of situation and he say, he, confess, he says i have never worked in the studio yeah. i don't shoot films and studios and I was and I had this moment where I was like everything he does is on location. Yeah, Everything he does is is his own film where Mm -hmm. he's pulling together the financing. Like this is the closest thing he's done to to that. (laughs) And I don't know somehow even if it was a director for hire kind of thing I think that he made a Werner Herzog film out of it. Out of the material.
1: Yeah.
0: Sometimes good producing like when the money uh, is the money with the money people's yeah. edward pressman or whoever is matching the this the right script with the right director you know with the right creative team and this does seem natural
1: yeah for him
0: <laughs> <laughs> and yet you don't see and this is 10 years ago now yeah. and he didn't go off and do a whole bunch of hollywood films so i don't yeah. know what the big takeaway is <laughs> he went off and made a bunch more documentaries
1: yeah. But a lot a lot of narrative, too. I mean, it seems like every year he has one or the other, you know, which, I mean, suggests to me that he's been working, like, he works all the time. He must in order to get that much, you know, to get that much out, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, in uh, I think in, in the 70s, it was mostly narrative film. Yeah. It was that great just amazing period that started with Aguirre the Wrath of God and there was Nosferatu and Fitzgeraldo and the the one I watched recently the the Enigma of Kaspar Hauser. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bunch more that I Strozik and Wojcik and all the and other projects with Klaus Kinski. But the 90s and 2000s have been more about documentary for him.
1: Yeah,
0: and weird acting jobs. He's in the Mandalorian, the Star Wars uh, Disney Plus TV show now, (laughs) which again seems like an actor for hire, so that I can finance my next project. I guess he's not game for anything, but. uh...
1: Well, I mean, I do, I do like that attitude. The like, what harm is it going to do me to try this? You know, it's. I mean, and often that's the case, like a lot of people like, oh my God is, but at a certain point, you know, it's just a job or it's just a, you know, it's not gonna hurt him or change Mm -hmm. how he feels about himself or his work to do something that, you know, and you know, I guess that's kind of cool though. Like, you know, you know. Getting rid of self-doubt, but also, like, not worrying about what other people are going to say about, you know, Werner Herzog being in Star Wars or whatever, you know. <laughs> Although I still maintain why does everything have to be Star Wars, but that's fine.
0: That's true. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really happy to... I'm, I'm. This sounds stupid, but I mean, I'm really happy that he's still a creative force to be reckoned with and that all of these years later, you know, he's still making films year by year and we're still part of that conversation. I, I first became aware of him when I was probably 12 or 13 and I'm not sure we mentioned the book before, but that movie, that book cult movies by Mm -hmm. um, Danny Peary, which was like something I stumbled on at the B Dalton booksellers. That's the copy I bought (laughs) at at B (laughs) Dalton. She's pointing to the top shelf of our our bookcase. Um, It was, uh, uh, that Book of Essays by Danny Peary came out in the 70s, um, cult movies, and it was uh, mini-essays on all of these great films, everything Clockwork Orange and, and all of that stuff. Eraserhead. That's where I first heard about these movies, when I was becoming interested in, in the weird, the unusual, the offbeat, everything that's out there, not just... Raiders of the Lost Ark and Spielberg, but I wanted to know everything. That's where I first heard about Versa Herzog, Versog. I say. Versog. Um,
1: he's, that's, he's versatile. Where, <laughs> that's where. That's um, where.
0: So the first thing I came across was Aguirre: The Wrath of God. I probably didn't see it till I was about fourteen or fifteen. VHS tape from Le video, that video store in mm-hmm. San Francisco that I always talk about, and um, and so I've had a relationship with him and his movies since you know a t- being a teenager and like i said i'm just astounded that he's he's one of the greats who's still working and making such interesting films
1: i don't think you could stop him he just seems like a force that he will continue to create in any way that he can you know that just he just seems like that sort of unstoppable creative force you know Well, he is
0: an author and he is a filmmaker he's a documentarian he's a screenwriter he's an actor he is all of these things and a thinker and i I don't know he's just i'm fascinated by him
1: yeah
0: i'm really upset people that we like we were going to go to the (laughs) public library yeah yesterday and it was closed for the holiday for the martin luther king um holiday That's fine. I mean, I know people need their day off and everything, but I was gonna go pull some books on Werner Herzog. (laughs) I had, I was going to, I was going to have other fascinating things to say. I really wanted to grab this book. So if you can find it before I do, there's Werner Herzog: A Guide for the Perplexed, Mm. um, which I've heard great things about. But it's like 500 pages, and I I think it's kind of biography slash. Uh, criticism of his work but with his input and his interviews and and stuff along the way and that was one I was going to get and there's also um, Roger Ebert one of the last books he wrote before he passed away was Herzog by Ebert that collected all of his interviews, all of his essays, all of his criticism um, about Herzog and his career and I wanted to pull that again to, to read too because I don't know he's the man
1: it's
0: the man. Even if he is terrified by the shrieking of birds in the jungle or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, thinking <laughs> of uh, those. You know, you guys should Google uh, Werner Herzog, Burden of Dreams and, yeah, and see some of those clips of he he was pretty much losing his mind shooting that film.
1: I think, yeah, I think the jungle haunts him still. He mentions it in the making of of of. of of bad lieutenant. You know, and Williams there's that, well. there's
0: that story. We may <laughs> never know for sure. You know, Klaus Kinski passed away, I think a few years ago, right? I don't even, I don't think he's around anymore. Um, That, you know, they were truly isolated in the jungle when they shot Fitzgeraldo and Aguirre, the Wrath of God. And there's that story that, that Klaus Kinski threatened to walk when, during one of their like huge blowups and awful, like, Things and uh, they say that Werner Herzog uh, held a gun to his head and, and <laughs> made him complete the film. <laughs> we may never know if that's true. Act! But, Act uh But let's just say, you know, My Best Fiend. Um, who's the Fiend? Yeah. No. <laughs> the, you really do have to see that film okay. though. It's, it's, it's quite a collaboration they came up with. So, do you have any other thoughts about Bad Lieutenant? Court of Call, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Um, what is he? What did he say about the um, the title? Didn't he wasn't happy that he had to call it that?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the, and I wish I had the exact words that he said, but he was like, "I don't really like it. We should have chose something else." But I guess it's okay. Essentially, yeah, it's like I was what stuck is, with is it.
0: it? <laughs> I don't like it. It's as good as anything else. It's I guess fine. It's fine. It's
1: fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah. Um, well, I see it. I think, I think everyone should see it. If you, if you like procedurals, if you like Jennifer Coolidge, if you like Nicholas Cage, if and, you like New Orleans. And if you're
0: not really familiar with his you work, like Alligator. there are so many <laughs> things to connect with. And we've mentioned a lot of them for now. If you're more of a documentary person, I highly recommend stuff like the cave of forgotten dreams. The one on the less Lascaux caves.
1: Yeah.
0: um, Grizzly if bear, grizzly, grizzly man. man. Sorry.
1: Well, and into uh, into the inferno, which is the volcano. I still one, haven't caught up with that which one, which oddly has commentary on um, uh, communism.
0: Yeah, I have <laughs> And that. North Korea. I have No idea what you're talking oddly. about. Oddly, so, I think uh, <laughs> I need to do I need to do a marathon of some of the last. Like, so
1: I mean, 10 essentially, of none of his documentaries. I mean, none of them are about what they ostensibly are about. So that's if you're if you're looking for well, every one of his yeah. films
0: is about his encounter with yeah. the with the purported the subject matter.
1: Yeah.
0: It's a conversation with the subject matter.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His voice is on the soundtrack. He is narrating his experience. He is like the essayist. It's, there is an essayist yeah. quality to it. But so the documentary films, any one of them. And the the great films from the seventies: the of The Wrath of God, Nosferatu, Fitzgeraldo, Maybe yep. that's my favorite. Mm. Um, you can't go wrong.
1: And and don't woo women with even dwarfs. Start small.
0: Never woo a woman with even dwarfs. Start small. So that <laughs> that I saw. I'm just, every once in a while, you completely astound me with something really obscure that you've seen. Like, why have you seen that? <laughs> Like, I saw that because my film professor at UCSD was purposefully showing us, like, sort of weird, shocking movies. Mm. Like, we had a Wednesday night screening every week. I've talked about this before on the podcast. It was called a Hard Luck at the Movies. It was my film professor, J.P. Gorin. Um, That's where I saw The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. He would just show us something, like, off the wall. Yeah. Something, like, that would kind of break you open. Like... Okay, you think you know the movies? Check this one out.
1: I love movies. <laughs> I know, exactly.
0: So don't start with even dwarves started small. I still maintain that's a deep cut. You go there after you've seen a lot of these other things. Well, it
1: reminds me of that. Um, what did we, we saw a series of shorts recently <laughs> at the AFS and? Um, yeah, the, the experimental the, avant-garde the shorts guy what was his name the
0: uh kenneth anger yeah the the biker yeah
1: stuff yeah that stuff so it was it was a little bit disturbing it was
0: disturbing but i'm really interested in i want to see more of of those sort of mid-century avant-garde films i think um, it's fascinating and i i just i had forgotten how amazing that maya darren film is that they showed mm -hmm, meshes in the afternoon mm, i want to see more of her stuff I, c- I could get obsessed with her work. <laughs> I think <laughs> I remember seeing that that stuff in in film school, and then not again, and you know for thirty years until yeah. we went to that screening. And I was like, wow.
1: Sometimes it's 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 fun to see something that's outside of your comfort zone, and like Vertsog, Herzog 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 is We're not, just gonna go with not afraid to go there. You yeah. know, and and. You know, I think that part of it's taken me a long time to get there because sometimes when you're tired and you don't want to deal with things that make you uncomfortable, it's really hard to make yourself push yourself into that. But I think what it brings to your creative life and your inner life is so valuable, you know, and, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm endlessly fascinated with human experience. So I'm I like to. I like to see all all the sides of that
0: <laughs> i really like how this podcast has ended up being a conversation not just the conversation we're having about a particular movie but how each episode mm-hmm. kind of gets to be a response to something else i yeah. mean and a lot of the time it's not conscious yes and i, I really think it's really interesting to me now the, that these, we did,
1: this podcast is not about the movie that it's about
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean i just think <laughs> it's interesting that we did two films in a row by the great directors of new german cinema yeah. who did films in america in you know
1: yeah well, we did
0: Wim Wenders, paris texas and then we did that- this and and i don't think that you were thinking that yeah but and yet that happened and now here i am thinking well him his and herzog and maybe yeah. i want to follow this up we probably won't do another herzog episode next but like yeah it it ends up having a life of its own, the path we yeah. make through through these films.
1: Well, it actually makes me so, like, I don't know that this is a fully formed theory, but it seems like at different parts in film history, like the candle or the torch of what country or what part of the world is holding the torch for, you know, really like pushing the boundaries on on presenting the human experience so there was like the french new wave and italy and mm-hmm. you know um i think a couple years ago or maybe even 10 years ago there was a lot of like latin american stuff you know and so- south american stuff coming out now i think we're pulling Just so Korean much stuff and, and greek and, and, stuff ja- japanese. and japanese i don't know it's interesting i think that like it keeps the world keeps getting bigger as far as cinema goes. And I think that we're just pulling on so many like parasite, with you know, mm-hmm. like incredible burning, you know, for, mm-hmm. um, anyway. So I, I just think it's interesting to see like what part of the world is, you know, really pushing the envelope on showing interesting parts of the human experience and we're always somewhere a little behind <laughs> that envelope following in the
0: snowy footprints yeah you know uh, because we're always looking back
1: actually <laughs> parasite has you know there's some there's something as uncomfortable as parasite is it's times i think there's something about bad lieutenant that's you know similarly uncomfortable in in at i times.
0: absolutely <laughs> adored parasite that's my number one film for last year it's yeah. still playing in theaters it comes out on DVD, I think, next week. Yeah. So catch up with that if you see haven't it again. seen it.
1: Yeah.
0: Go see some weird transgressive cinema. Yes. That's my <laughs> recommendation. Whether let it, it's let Her- it shock you. Yeah. Whether it's Herzog or Bong Joon Ho.
1: Yeah. Or The Handmaiden, which we saw that a number of years good ago. One, yeah. Shocking one. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think that's about it I for so. our time with you this week. Next time, it's my pick.
1: Mm hmm. He doesn't And
0: uh, I don't know, but I do, in a way, I feel off the hook. Like, I don't have the stress of trying to think of a perfect Herzog movie now because Mm -hmm. I'll let let him be for a while since you got your foot in the door first. That's right. And um, I can go in a different direction. I don't know what it's going to be. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Tell your friends about the show. Um, Follow us on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe. Mm -hmm. Find us on Facebook. Shut up. Watch this. And on Instagram. Write us an email at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com. And um, we will catch up with you next time. Bye. Bye.